When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We here at the Fumbling Four Network take mental health very serious. If you or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. If you don't like talking on the phone, you can text or start an online chat. Once again, the number is 1-800-273-8255. Welcome to the Resident Evil Lorecast, the podcast that will explore the various mediums and lore of the Resident Evil franchise, such as the video games, movies, novels, and more. And here are your hosts, Ariel, Daniel, and Aaron. Got something that might interest you. <laughs> Welcome back to the Resident Evil Lorecast. That's my line. Well, you always steal mine, so it's about time I steal yours. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I am your host, Ariel. And mm. joining me today is my fellow host, Daniel. Hi there. Now let's get started. <laughs> That's terrible. You're so mean. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, well, hello. Like Ariel said, this is the Resident Evil Lorecast. I'm your host, Aaron. And as always, joining me is my lovely co-host, Ariel. Hello. And Daniel. Hi. And today, we're going to be talking about RE7 BOWs and characters. Char- characters you're always taking my lines now (laughs) but anyway so let's get started with some bow action daniel sounded so weird it didn't at all you just made it sound weird all right so the first bow i have is known as the fumers Keep it together, Aaron. I'm sorry with these names. <laughs> no, you should have had the names from the last time. Oh, they were really bad. <laughs> I can't remember half of them, but there were so many. So the Fumer, they look similar to a basic molded, but with white colored mycelia strands covering their bodies. Their heads are much more human-like than their brethren, resembling a decaying skull instead of a instead of a mass of fangs. However, they retain the basic molded, clawed hands. Organs and muscle tissue can be seen beneath the mold, implying that these molded are created from human victims instead of being directly manifested from the mold. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we're getting into the crazy, (laughs) crazy monsters now. Uh, Their date of creation is 2016, in case anybody cares. Oh, so we have a date of creation now. Yes, with some of these. I don't go over them all the time because most of them is just in that game. Mm. Next, I have the Gator or Gators, which we already know where that's going. As the mole began to fester the swamp ecosystem, alligators soon fell victim to infection because we love infected regular creatures. (laughs) Mutating to abnormal sizes with large teeth that jutted out at unnatural angles. Cataract eyes and developing tumorous growths large enough to split open the gator's tough-scaled hide. Gators behaved relatively similar to normal alligators, albeit more vicious. Yeah, because that's what we need. More vicious alligators. (laughs) Yeah, let's just think of back to the sewers. Oh, no. This also changed their attack behaviors, preferring to bite vigorously into prey until death, as opposed to drowning them beneath the waters or engaging in a death roll, 
A signature move of crocodilians. Crocodilians. Yes, we're going broad <laughs> and scientific here. In a game that talks about viruses. Mm. Mold. Okay, next, Ariel's favorite. Is the insect hive. Nope. <laughs> the insect hive are hives that are often lined with an unknown material layering upon them. They're grayish or beige in color when they're first spotted and appear to be moving, as well as there are some slight holes within the layers of their material. These hives vary in size as well and even host a number of different man-eating insects within them. As they are whittled down, however, they obtain a more colorful appearance as their phases go by. So I want to say something about this material. We know they're man-eating insects. And working with insects during my day job, I know that some insects will actually use parts of their prey to build nests. So could it be that they use some human flesh to build the nests? I would not think that's far-fetched. I, <laughs> it's quite the possibility, which makes them even more terrifying. Because they don't just eat men, they dissect them and use them for multiple purposes. Well, we've seen that normal society of mm. bugs as well. Mm -hmm. so. The man-eating insects have similar anatomy to crane flies and mosquitoes while also displaying traits of black flies and wasps, all of which being extremely common insect species to the swamplands of Louisiana. They have mutated to abnormally large sizes far beyond capable of any ordinary insect. Young man-eating insects behave closely to black flies and wasps, living in nests and swarming a target to attack. Adults appear less dependent of each other, straying away from the swarm. Behaviors seen in younger forms. To, to attack, they sport large stingers as well as biting with newly developed wasp-like mandibles when provoked. These... Mm. Oh, no. <laughs> mm -mm. They're a man-eater. I would really not want to be called in to exterminate these things. Good thing you don't work for the BSAA, then. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, in conjunction with that, we also have the man-eating spiders, which are mold imitations of a species genus of an orb-weaving spider. Unlike naturally, occurring, unlike naturally occurring spiders, the imitations have only six legs. Technically, they're not spiders. <laughs> Gee whiz fact for you all. Actually. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> Further, while orb-weaving spiders tend to be migratory, highly aggressive, and cannibalistic, man-eating spiders live together in small colonies covering specific parts of the old house. Man-eating spiders have powerful things capable of inflicting injury on even humans without need for venom. They are also able to bore through wood and other soft materials, like flesh. <laughs> Due to their powerful legs, these spiders can jump at enemies even a foot away. Which actually isn't incredibly surprising, especially since you have the species that we actually have in the real world called the cave spiders, which everybody thinks are crickets. They can jump quite a distance. That's what they got them legs for. Mm -hmm. All right, next we have... Another insect-like creature known as the little crawlers. Oh, boy. Little crawlers are small, spider-like creatures that rely on their quickness and maneuverability to overpower their enemies. They are blue-gray and pink in color with seven crude leg appendages, a vertical mouth, and one large red eye. They are often seen to attack in groups, whether or not they have been recently birthed by a mama mold. A mama mold. She's not Italian. <laughs> All right. Next we have Mama Mold. You didn't say it right. A Mama Mold. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Necronomicon. <laughs> the Mama Mold is an approved variant of the fat molded Alpha E type. Mm. Although it retains the key aspects of a normal fat molded, a hefty frame, similar sounds, and vomit coming from its mouth, it is lighter in tone and significantly larger than its counterpart. 
with strands of hair on his body and a massive resistance to conventional weaponry. Mm, sounds like someone you want to bring to meet your mama. It's already a mama. <laughs> it also has a substantially different facial and head structure compared to the normal fat molded as its head has a different set of eyes, a mouth, and even a split on the cranium. Due to its more feminine features, it is believed that this mutation was born from a female human victim, hence its name. And I've already stated this, but in addition to vomit, the mama mold also spews out little crawlers. <laughs> hmm. Just when you think Resident Evil couldn't get any more gross. Gross. <laughs> So this one is a little bit longer one, but it should be the last one because it's the broad one. So last we have... The fuck you just said to me? <laughs> you heard me. No, I didn't. I was talking. Emotional damage. So the last one we have is the molded. They're not reanimate corpses. Rather, any corpses fed to the mold provides enough fuel to construct the filaments of a molded from its biomatter. Enough mold in an area can be reshaped into a molded without a body in this way. They are similar to the leech man. They are animalistic and relentless monsters who exist only to serve and protect their E-type creator. So theoretically, any E-type creator could make them? True. The molded are tall humanoid monsters whose mutated bodies are extremely flexible and are covered with, if not comprised of, the black vein fungus that mutated them. Beneath the flesh, bone structures, and reddish organs can still be faintly seen. <laughs> the head in particular melted into an incomprehensible, misshapen mass, save for two eye sockets and the massive gaping mouth taking up most of the head. Said mouth can stretch to an unnatural size and is filled with enormous spike-like teeth and if one looks closely, also contains what appears to be the human eyes. Possibly left over from the recycling process. Like how it says recycling process, I would just use that in quotes because I don't think it's really recycling. <laughs> What's the definition of recycling, Daniel? Reusing. Reusing. <laughs> I don't like it in this case. I don't like it. Molded also have similar claws on the ends of their arms, which can slice through humans and even infect them. Their neck structure is heavily disproportionate to its head and has limbs that can stretch out from their bodies, which provide them with significantly more flexibility than humans. The molded have a significant degree of intelligence, though they cannot facilitate communication through speech or writing due to their radically altered anatomy. They can sense and track down non-molded even work and even work in groups. Molded also have a degree of craftiness and resourcefulness, as they are known to navigate through vents and narrow openings to circumvent obstacles and utilize heavily molded environments as camouflage to ambush their prey. They lack the intelligence to interact with tools and contraptions, including basic functions such as opening doors. When confronted with closed or locked doors, they will swing wildly at the door instead of opening it or in their pursuit entirely. So they can go through vents and everything, but when a how dare you? Sorry. <laughs> so they can open door, or they can go through vents and everything, but when presented with a door, it's too much. <clears throat> well, okay. So let's be some clear on some things here. The vents and things are already open, so it's just a hole. It's like a squid; like it's just gonna fit through it. It's just gonna happen. But if you were to put a squid in front of a door, it's not gonna open that door. <laughs> Unless it can fit through the keyhole or underneath the door. Yeah, it'll, mm -hmm. it'll go underneath the door. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the molded just are given up. They're that, just lazy. Yeah. They're just lazy bones. I like that because they're, they're intelligent enough to do that, but not intelligent enough to <laughs> use tools and everything. It's just lazy bones. The black mold that holds the molded together is also very durable, capable of taking large amounts of damage and remaining intact. Despite this, a molded is also much more inferior in internal bodily composition than that of a general molded infected human, as vital fluids, skeletal composition, and musculature have been irreversibly contaminated and mutated beyond healthy composition, and in turn has become reliant on the mold exterior to remain intact. 
Should their exteriors reach their limits of damage, their internal organs are unable to maintain their structural pressure and immediately burst into a gunky composition. Yum. So then we got the variants of the molded. We have the blade molded, which are further mutation of the regular molded. Similar to its predecessor, the spike-armed variants are covered in black-veined fungus. However, as opposed, however, as opposed to dual-clawed arms, the right arms have mutated into a mass of organic spiked blades capable of stretching at a distance and durable enough to be used as a shield. In the end of Zoe DLC, there is another variant of the blade molded, known as the double-bladed mold, which are further mutation, appearing structurally similar to that of their predecessors. But they have key differences such as spines that protrude from their head and having both of their arms covered in blades instead of just one arm. Aside from this, there is no other distinguishable characteristic between them and the blade molded. So wait, what you're saying is, it's exactly like the other one, but it has two sword hands instead of one. Yes. Wow, who'd have thunk it? <laughs> Double bladed. Let's see here. Next, we have the fat molded. The fat molded are bloated versions of the molded. They appear to have significantly more muscle mass than their original counterparts and have the ability to store hot vomit inside of their bodies. Oh, God, no. That's so gross. That's why it em emphasized hot. <laughs> <laughs> the fat molded is also more resilient compared to its other molded brethren. Until you release that hot vomit. <laughs> no, no, no. So next we have the headless fat molded, which they are exactly in appearance to the regular variant of the fat molded, except that they lack limbs as well as a head. They stand around Chris's height, and despite being similar in structure to the fat molded, they are in fact extremely weak to firearms easier way to get to that hot vomit. <laughs> I was like, do they produce hot vomit? It did not say otherwise. So. <laughs> so the last one I have is the quick molded. The quick molded variant of the creature bears the same biologically mutated body composition as the common humanoid molded with the exception of its ability to remove or with the exception of its ability to move on all four limbs which are distinguishable which 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 are distinguishably longer and slimmer and having a much leaner and smaller body, which makes the creature exceptionally nimble. Unlike the normal molded, it lacks endurance and can be killed more easily. This, however, does not mean it is any less of a threat as it can cover distances with excellent agility, leaping at its victims and moving about in an unnatural manner. It is unable to use its gaping jaw as a means of offense. So that's its downfall, but you can jumped on by one of these things and they're quicker that is what I have on all the variants of the molded and pretty much all the BOWs in here that is quite the list of disgustingness yep so I think we're gonna just go ahead and veer from that list and I think this is the perfect time for us to go to our mid break <laughs> So here we are in the middle of the show. It's awful middly in here, Ariel. So you can't steal my all my lines. Go home. <laughs> well, we don't have any new reviews, but we do have a message from one of our fans on Twitter. And I thought we could uh, answer that today on this episode. This question comes to us from, I'm going to try to pronounce this, Noifike. <laughs> I hope that's how you pronounce it. <sighs> but the question is, Important question for the RE Lurecast. This is something I think too much about. What is your favorite ship between characters in Resident Evil franchise? Mine is either Bruce and Fong or the less unconventional Chris and Piers. I will go first on this one. I am totally shipping Chris and Piers <laughs> because they're such an awesome team. I think they can make a great couple. I mean, really, they work really well together. I mean, come on. That is one of the most heartbreaking scenes, too, in the entire RE series. I feel. I feel the feels. Nah, I've 
No, I can't see that solely because I've already in my head shipped Jill and Chris. So, oh, maybe they can make a Jill sandwich. <laughs> the door. <laughs> Ariel is just dumbfounded. I've, I've got nothing for that. I've got nothing. Not a thing. But. <laughs> My favorite ship is Leon and Ada. That is a really good one. Yep. They belong together. But what about Leon and Hannigan? Nope. <laughs> I mean, I like Hannigan, but... No. Hannigan won't go for it. Hannigan's a no dice. No, because in my eyes, Leon and Ada already have a baby together. Oh, you shipped it that far. Yep. <laughs> what about you, Danny? Who do you got? So I'm going with the basic one of Chris and Jill. You know, you wouldn't go for Rebecca and Billy? No, no. he'd go for Rebecca and Daniel. <laughs> Doesn't work like that. I'm I'm going to go ahead and ship Rebecca and Billy. That's who I think. You can, but they didn't have that long together. It doesn't matter. It's not a that movie. ending was it's, so heartfelt. It's not a movie. It doesn't. You don't get that much time to fall in love. <laughs> no, I think Chris and Joe, just because of all the time that they spent together as partners, off and on. Yeah. Except for towards the end, maybe Chris got over it. But we're gonna agree to disagree on this one. <laughs> oh goodness! So that is our ships. I don't know. That kind of went everywhere. Uh, definitely, Ariel is hardcore Leon Ada. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel is definitely hardcore Chris and Jill, and I'm still I'm still rooting for Chris and Pierce. Rooting for that Chris and Pierce. I could also go. I, I'll I'll say Leon Ada as well. Claire and Steve. Claire and Steve. <laughs> Steve. Oh goodness. Well, with all that being said. It's time for our mid-break merch, Danny. What do you got? Nothing. You're a liar. I know you. So the item I have brought is by a vendor that we have mentioned before, Zion's Tech. Ooh. So they have made, similar to, they made the... Lost Plagueis mm-hmm. and a couple other things. They've also now have one for the Resident Evil 7 mold superorganism. <gasps> a little vial that you can buy. Ooh. It runs $23 currently in stock. It ships free to the United States. And if you want to find it, it's on Etsy. Just look up Zion's Tech and then Resident Evil 7 mold superorganism. I will say we can definitely vouch for the craftsmanship on these. They're great. We have the Lost Plagas one here, and it is fantastic. But you totally. can, but you can send the others to us too if you want. Oh my yeah, gosh, Daniel! Because I would absolutely <laughs> love to have every single virus and parasite. Now you got Ariel doing it. Gosh, you guys are incredible. I've already wanted. You, you know what? You're just salty because nobody will send you anything. <laughs> That's so mean. <laughs> oh, goodness. Right. Well, Daniel, you bring us the merch. Ariel, what do you have? Well, if you love ocarinas. <laughs> oh, wait, this is wrong podcast. Wrong, wrong podcast. That's the Zelda Lorecast. <laughs> Go to stlocarina.com and put in the promo code LOZLORE10 and you get 10% off your ocarinas. <laughs> so, I read an article. Mm. Much like I always do. And this one comes from Screen Ramp. And the title is Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City Sequel Chances, addressed by Star. So. This is basically based on from Tom Hopper, who plays Wesker in the Welcome to Raccoon City. And he says, what I know is it was very successful in terms of on demand. A lot of people sat at home and watched it. So I think 
they're very happy over Constantine and Sony and all the guys who run that show. I certainly hope to go back and play Albert Wesker again. It ended in a way that I was like, oh, I can get used to this guy. Also, too, where he's going. I think he can be very interesting. So I certainly hope so. So it's not in... It's not set in stone mm-hmm. that there will be a sequel. However, all of the execs love the fact that this did bring them 41 million against its 25 million budget. Wow. So I know I'm honestly surprised it got that much. I mean, like we've discussed in our patron chat episode on our Patreon, it's it wasn't a bad movie. It's just not, I think, what a lot of fans were expecting out of a Resident Evil movie that of this portrayal value, you know? Don't get me started. <laughs> I would go watch a sequel. I would. I'd have to at this point to see if they make Leon any dumber. Oh my gosh. If it's even possible. <laughs> Oh, uh, the actor was good, though. I yeah, I was never <laughs> ragging on the actor. Oh, goodness. So I have brought merch from Merchoid.com. So we talk about the badges a lot here. We you know, we've talked about, you know, you can get the wallet badge. You can get the cosplay badge. We can get, you can get the Raccoon City Police Department badge. We know this. But what if I told you I can you could get a commemorative 25th anniversary stars police department badge plaque. I'm listening. <laughs> so this plaque is gold and silver plated and it is, it is pretty big in the front side. It's really done nicely. It looks like a legitimate badge on the back. However, they have carved. I believe it looks carved the 25th anniversary logo and you have a certain commemorative number for it. Now this runs about $39.99 online and that's excluding tax. And right now they are saying they have quite a few left in stock, but I don't know how long that will last. So if you're looking for your own 24 karat gold plated little de- decorative commemorative plaque of the stars police department badge you better go over to Merchoid and check it out and as always the links in the sh- will always be in the show notes for all of the things we discussed in the mid-break and you know what I'm gonna intersect you here for a little bit to brag on someone actually oh so I'm gonna brag a little bit on the drunk pug okay yeah yeah So, I went to him about a Resident Evil tattoo. Mm. And it's awesome. And it's, oh, I can't, yeah. It's awesome. Just, that's all I'm going to say. It's freaking awesome. And you know, like, he doesn't charge that much either. So, you know, hit that man up if you have any ideas. Because he's not only phenomenal artist, he gets it done relatively quick. Mm-hmm. And don't worry, listeners. I'm going to be posting my tattoo on Discord whenever I actually go and get it. So It is a really cool tattoo. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> Super cool. Yeah. Shout out to Drunk Pug. He's, he's really a good member of the team. He's a great member of the team. He's our artist guy. Um, but he also does his own freelance stuff. So don't be afraid to hit him up on Discord. Don't be afraid to hit him up on his Etsy. Uh, don't just don't be afraid to hit him up if you want some commissioned artwork or a commissioned tattoo of your own or anything like that. Hit him up. Uh, we're always out there to support our team and our friends and fans. Speaking of supporting friends and fans, we got to mention our patrons today. Changing it up a little bit in the mid break, aren't we? Who are those? Oh, well, we have our wonderful VIP patron, William Jackson, and our wonderful all access patrons, Chris Slate and Remington Cloutier. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <sighs> I cannot thank our patrons enough, our listeners enough. I can't thank 
everybody who supports this podcast in some way or form enough. We would not be here without you. And honestly, it probably wouldn't be as fun because we get to chat with everybody in discord and it's great. It's fun. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I love talking about Resident Evil. Oh yeah. But you get more people to talk to in discord now about it. I know. I'm just kidding. Listeners. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but again, a huge thank you to everyone. And with that being said, I think it's time for us to jump to the end of the episode. Dang it. <laughs> Well, here we are at the end of the episode. I know we're all sad to be here. But before we go, we saw some characters and Easter eggs to talk about. And boy, do we have some doozy Easter eggs. So let's get started with characters. (laughs) Making you wait for those Easter eggs. So, you ready for this? I am. Ethan Winters. Ethan Winters was an American mutant trained as systems engineer. Little is known of Winters' early life, though it is known that by 2017, he was living and working in L.A., California as a systems engineer. In May 2011, he married his Texan girlfriend, Mia, who he believed was a high-ranking employee in a trading company, but was, in fact, I'll get into that when I talk about Mia. (laughs) So that's basically, they don't give him much. No, because, I mean, honestly, going into this, he's not much of a character. He's just a poor guy that got wrapped up into some unconventional things. Yeah, which all... I'll talk about later. I feel for Ethan. Poor guy. So next is Mia Winters. So Mia Winters is a former operative for the Connections who worked covertly in the birth of Evelyn, acting as her caretaker for her while covering up her career as a worker at a trading company to her husband, Ethan. After being presumed dead in 2014, she was recovered by the Baker family and resided under lock and key at their property until being rediscovered in mid-2017. So, that's... Basically, Mia as well. So... Yeah. Again, not much on a character, but... Yeah, well, she's not much of a character, so... (laughs) Don't get me started. Ariel has a great disdain for Mia Winters. I really do. All right, next up is Jack. Jack. Jack Baker was an American serial killer who kidnapped, murdered, and ate over a hundred men and women in Dolby Parish, Louisiana from 2014 to 2017 in coordination with his wife, Marguerite, son Lucas, and adopted daughters, Evelyn and Mia. At the time of his death in August 2017, it was determined by the BSAA that the family's actions were the result of a psychoactive fungal bioweapon that introduced extreme violent tendencies. So, you know what, like... He was only a cannibal because, you know. <laughs> so wait, let me get this straight. You feel sympathy for Jack, but not Ethan. I Well, I like Jack. So. <laughs> Justifying his cannibalism. <laughs> so he was only a cannibal because. It is. I mean, he was a cool guy so, before all this. As soon as you said cannibal, I think that's where you should have just stopped yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, As a child, Jack grew up with his brother Joe at the Baker Ranch in Dolby Parish, Louisiana. The two were well known in the area for getting into fights, including with one another. This did not, however, prevent Jack from serving in the U.S. Marine Corps in 1980. How long he served for is uncertain, though by the 1990s he had settled down with Marguerite and had inherited the farm from his parents while Joe living close by in a shack in the bayou. By 1994, he and Marguerite had two children, Lucas and Zoe. There's a little bit of a backstory on our man Jack. 
down by the river. <laughs> wow. So next is Marguerite Baker. And she is something, that's for sure. She was a resident of the Baker Ranch household, a mansion in Dolby. She was the wife of Jack, mother of Zoe and Lucas. Marguerite was the matriarch of the Baker family, which consisted of who I just mentioned. They lived on a large plantation, comprising a mansion and an older house with mines and a pier nearby. So they had a lot of land in order to have the house, the pier, the mines, and like a guest house kind of deal. Right. Maybe a tanker. <laughs> Maybe a tanker. <laughs> they had a lot of land. That must have been a well-known farm. So next we have Lucas. <laughs> I I don't like Lucas. He's an asshole. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't eat people. He's still an asshole. So Lucas was apparently a bad seed, but despite his unruly ways, he was a gifted inventor and won several awards for his work, which he displayed in his room. He also mentioned having gotten a jigsaw puzzle from his mom as a reward for going to the hospital for a head scan. It can be presumed that he was already mentally unstable. He also chronicled the time when he trapped one of his childhood bullies, Oliver, in the attic and sealed it with a remote, leaving him to die of thirst and starvation. That is psychotic. He then fused the remote with one of his trophies, disguising it as a lamp to prevent Zoe from getting into the attic. Later on, he went on to study at a university within the state of Louisiana. By 2014, he and his sister were still living at their parents' house. His antisocial nature led him to constantly fall out and argue with his family, resulting in him creating a fuck you list on his laptop <laughs> to log these events and vent his frustrations. After a violent storm hit the surrounding area, Lucas went outside and found a shipwrecked tanker. Telling his father about it, they went to investigate but only found one survivor... And that's Mia. And that is on our wonderful, wonderful Lucas. <laughs> Fuck you list got me good. I know that was pretty funny. <laughs> Fuck you list. Look, dad, a new boat. <laughs> oh, boy. So now let's go to Zoe. So, of course, Zoe lived with her parents and brother she did an art project in the fourth grade of her and her family, which hung in the dining room. There was an incident where Zoe called Lucas a pervert for watching her do yoga. So this is a little interesting. It's kind of random. Really kind of random. I believe it. <laughs> Lucas seems like the prevert. I mean, he did lock his childhood bully up in that. Yeah. So, unlike the rest of her family, Zoe was able to resist Evelyn's mind control due to her knowledge about Evelyn. Despite being infected and refused to partake in the family's murderous activities, choosing instead to isolate herself from them and her trailer in the yard. So, you know what? Zoe's a cool person. She was able to fight it off, you know? And not be a murderous cannibal. So, props to you, Zoe. Actually, I did like Zoe anyways. Mm. Okay. On to Evelyn. Evelyn, codenamed E-001, was a genetically modified human conceived as part of the next generation of bioweapons research conducted by the Connections. Designed to eliminate enemies without the need for combat. As a result of the merging of an anomalous bacteria into her genome during the embryonic stage, she gained the ability to control the minds of people who came in contact with her. Evelyn was unique in being the first E-type bioweapon alongside her unhealthy obsession with creating a family to su suit her own needs. 
So, Evelyn was developed by the connections using a sample of mold supplied by Miranda, which we will get into her in eight. So I don't really want to ruin that yet. Born sometime in the early 2000s, Evelyn was artificially aged to appear as a 10-year-old. To suit her purpose for infiltration, her birth proved to be controversial in the bioweapons and weaponry market in general, as her projected ability to end battles through mind control rendered the economically devastating traditional bioweapons, as well as conventional weapons such as firearms, chemical weapons, or even nuclear weapons obsolete. With groups such as Blue Umbrella determined to track down Evelyn and her creators, the company made the decision in October of 2014 to take her into hiding. So, agents Alan Droney and Mia Winters discreetly escorted Evelyn under the guise of parental guardians onto the cargo ship Annabelle, bound for Central America, where they planned to disembark and take her to a second laboratory. So the rest is the events that happened afterwards. And I just want to point out, like, I kind of feel for Evelyn. She just wanted a mama and a papa. Yeah, she just wanted a family. Like, she was created solely to be a freaking weapon. And her whole thing was just love me. Like any kid would want. Yeah. You know, a little psychotic kid, but I mean, <laughs> show her some actual love. I mean, for crying out loud, Lucas got love. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay, so next on the list is Peter Walken. The only thing I can think of anytime somebody says his name is Christopher Walken. That's why I did that little point. <laughs> hey. Uh, Christopher Walken's a lot cooler. I need you to say everything about Peter Watkins in a Christopher Watkins voice. No. At some point prior to 2015, Walken had a TV journalism career and operated as the weekend substitute for a TV station's main anchor. He eventually left the network or was fired and moved to online entertainment, collaborating with Andre Stickland on Sewer Gators, an urbex show where Walken would explore abandoned houses purported to be haunted. So, in May 2017, the small production crew drove down to Dolby Parish. And that's where they perished. See what I did there? I see what you did there. Yeah, and this is actually, this is in the um, beginning mm-hmm. part. Okay, so next is Clancy Jarvis. And he was the cameraman for Sewer Gators. That's about it. <laughs> he died. He died. He died. He died. And after Jarvis, we have Andre Strickland. Did he do that? To die? Um, yeah, he did die. He was the producer for Sewer Gators. That name just keeps cracking me up. Stickland. Sewer Gators. Next is David Anderson. Now, David Anderson was a law enforcement deputy in the state of Louisiana. He was attached to the police department representing Dolby Parish. He was ordered to patrol the area around the bayou following a series of disappearances, reaching the haunted house. He met Ethan Winters, who warned him to leave the area at once. Not understanding the nature of his warning, Anderson insisted Ethan calm down and explain the situation, skeptical of his story of a group of serial killers in the house. The deputy told Ethan to meet him in the garage, and Ethan agreed before demanding that Anderson give him his handgun so that he could defend himself. Of course, he refused to surrender his sidearm and instead passed Ethan a pocket knife through the window. 
So basically, he just um, dismissed Ethan again and died. So I actually died a pretty horrible, bloody, yeah, I did. death. This is what you get for not listening to Ethan Winters. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually really sad. I liked that deputy for the short time that he played. Yeah, he was a very short-lived oh, character. Yeah. <laughs> Okie dokie, we have Alan Droney, who was the partner of Me Winters. And he's kind of a dick. Because he refers to Evelyn as a bitch in conversation. Yeah, oh yeah, he needs to die. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, Evelyn got pissed and killed him. Like, Good I'm, on you, yeah, Abby. Like, she was pissed mm. because he's called her a bitch and, you know, just wants love. So she actually caused the mold inside of him to grow much more rapidly, which that's what killed him. <laughs> that's what you get. That's what you get. Alan Droney. That's basically it for the storyline. But let's cover Joe. Yes, the moment I've been waiting for. Oh, Joe. He's actually still alive. Mm-hmm. And quite the badass, might I add. <laughs> so Joe is an American retired Marine and frontiersman from Dolby Parish. He is one of several survivors of the 2014 through 17 Baker House incident. As a child, Joe lived at the Baker Ranch, where he grew up alongside his brother Jack. The two are known to have regularly fought, though after their service in the Marine Corps, they maintained familial ties to the area. While the ranch was inherited by Jack, Joe himself chose to live as a frontiersman and set up a shack in the bayou. Interaction between the two ended completely in October 2014 when the ranch was contaminated by mold. So that's basically it on Joe. So that's all I have on the characters. I mean, yeah, we get Chris at the end, but nothing to write home about. I mean. Yay, you showed up, Chris. Right. <laughs> so brand new set of characters. Mm -hmm. Yep. So with characters out of the way, I think it's time for some Easter eggs. What do you guys think? It's not April. It's not April. So I'm going to go off of a list here. And we have number one is our sweet home homage. Okay, so there's a lot of parts of this game that were influenced via uh, either Evil Dead or Sweet Home or other past RE games. The homage for Sweet Home, actually, though, for those of you who don't know, Sweet Home was a 1989 NES game that basically spiraled Resident Evil into what it is today. The I way I like Sweet Home, it was extremely creepy and scary as a game. If you have the chance, play it because I know there's the different like computer upgrade emulators and all kinds of things. You get the chance to play it, play it. It's a great game. But uh, RE7's homage to this is dedicated. They did basically they dedicated the entire sequence scene in the game's demo to Sweet Home and its story. So the sequence in it had the sewer gators, a film crew exploring a seemingly abandoned house. Um, all of this was very similar to the original Sweet Home plot. So those of you who didn't know and you're like, I don't understand what the demo is going on about. It was essentially just the RE team's kind of homage to Sweet Home, which I thought was incredibly sweet of them to do. Alabama? Uh, this was Louisiana, not Alabama. Not Alabama. <laughs> so 
The next one is some interesting architecture that you can find in the game. So this particular Easter egg is one of the windows just outside of Zoe's trailer. You can look up at the house and see that there is a window designed to look eerily similar to an umbrella logo cut in half. Um, we don't know if this was intentional or not. It's been a talk of the town for quite a while since RE7 came out. Nobody has discerned whether or not it was intentional or not. But what we've learned doing this podcast, the RE team does not do anything unintentional. So I would just go ahead and say that it's probably paying homage in the very beginning of the game to the fact that Umbrella is going to have something to do with this inevitably. So that being said, that brings us to another one. Daniel, you brought up Biohazard versus Resident Evil. Yes. Many a times. So interesting fact. Did you know that in Japan... The game is actually called Biohazard Resident Evil. And in America, it's known as Resident Evil Biohazard. And this was done to basically bridge the gaps between the two titles. Actually, I'm really upset that they didn't name it Biohazard Biohazard. (laughs) They should have went that route. (laughs) This this was a discussion we had in the Discord. Um, but yeah, so everyone who's wondering why, why did they do this? That is why they were bridging the gaps between biohazard and resident evil in two different countries. And now it's just known as resident evil biohazard. We're sure this just wasn't because this is the worst biohazard outbreak they had. And they were like, let's call this biohazard. (laughs) Biohazard, biohazard. So the next little detail that you may have missed is the resident evil three inventory sound. So, during a specific area of the game where Ethan has to deal with Lucas and the Saul traps, he gets to a keypad. Basically, when using the keypad, it is similar sound effects to Jill when you organize your inventory in RE3. So, the little tweet, 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 tweet sound effects you remember back in the old games, that was the same sound effect you would get when altering the keypad. I didn't know it sounded like a bird. Oh, shush. (laughs) So another one, which most fans caught right away, was a callback to the original Resident Evil 1, when you can find a picture of the Arclay Mountains on the wall. And this is... It's an Easter egg within an Easter egg, because it also leads us to... Something to it, it basically leads us to alleviate that once again, Umbrella had something to do with this, but we really don't know what the Baker family had to do with the Arclave Mountains. So that is still left up for why they had a picture of it hanging on the wall. Maybe they went there to visit one year for vacation. Oh, uh, it's a weird place to go, but. <laughs> So the next thing is the George Trevor Company. So at one point you get some paperwork in an attic that reveals that the contractor who built the house is none other than George Trevor or the original architect for the Spencer Mansion. So there's your tie-in for why the Arclave Mountains may have been in the mansion to begin with. Questionable architecture or architects? Questionable architects, yep. (laughs) So yeah, I thought it was interesting that George Trevor not only built the original Arclave Mansion, or the Spencer Mansion, but he also built the mansion in seven which is the baker mansion that brings us to the seventh easter egg here which is do you guys remember mr clive barker yeah the former bsaa director yeah yeah well he take he we find him in here too 
Um, when you're running around the house, you can inf- you can inspect a box of books, and one of them is actually written by BSAA former sorry director of the BSAA, Clive R. O'Brien. And the title of the book is The Unveiled Abyss. Neat. Neat. So, brings us to number eight. This is a special little thing that uh, a lot of people actually didn't get. Uh, This is a cutscene, which is similar to Mia chainsawing Ethan's arm off. Uh, There is a random encounter where you can run into Jack and Jack will slice your leg off with a shovel. And then he will taunt you and then encourage you to push through the pain and reattach your limb and deal with it. So it's 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 a little weird that this random encounter would happen and then the guy's like, well, oh, I chopped your leg off, but, you know, if you come over here, I can help you out. <laughs> but it is one that a lot of fans actually have not encountered because they did not encounter Jack in the house. So it is a very random one that you can miss. So the next one is we talked about a little bit is the Evil Dead homage. So there's a couple of these. So... The first one is the car that Ethan drives to Louisiana is actually very, very similar to the original car that Ash Williams drives in Evil Dead. The next one is the sewer gators van parked outside has the words join us written on it and are written on a pamphlet inside the van, which is also a common phrase used in the Evil Dead series by the Deadites. Yes. And the another one here, because there's two more left. Another one is actually when you fight Jack in the second boss battle, he mutters the word groovy to himself after picking up a chainsaw. To which you, as Ethan, responds, that is not groovy. So the last little homage they have is pretty self-explanatory and simple that both the female leads in Evil Dead and in RE7 are both named Mia. Woohoo. <laughs> so the last little Easter egg we have is pretty, it's pretty basic. Capcom loves to include some of their other games, as we know, inside their more popular ones. So, and this one is no difference. Basically, when you're walking around the Baker household, if you let Ethan take a break for a quick read, then you can see on a bookshelf, there is a titled book, Fighting Street, which is a subtle nod, of course, to the Street Fighter series, but it doesn't stop there. This is a double Easter egg because that name, Fighting Street, was also the name of the PC port for the first game in the Street Fighter series. So that was actually what the first port version was called, was Fighting Streets. Never played it. Me either. (laughs) But there are your RE7 Easter eggs. I played Street Fighter. I mean, I played Street Fighter. I just never played Fighting Streets. (laughs) It's a biohazard or Street Fighter. <sighs> yeah. So there's there's a few other ones, but they're, these are the ones that are really kind of bypassed by fans. There's a few other ones, like some of the sound effects from old games are used here. Um, the menus from certain games are brought in here. You know, there's, there's different things. Um, but these are the ones that I found that are some of the most missed or not noticed Easter eggs. And I really like the Evil Dead, you know, kind of homage they paid. Uh, especially when this whole game kind of gives an Evil Dead vibe a little bit. Should have had a place called (laughs) S-Mart. Shop smart, shop (laughs) S-Mart. Well, anyway, that brings us to the end of the episode and the end of our RE7 discussion. So, you know what that means. Yep, time to rate it. Time to rate it. So, Ariel, you seem eager. Do you want to give this one? Your rating first. Yep. 
All right, let's go. What do you got? So I have a three out of five. Okay. My reason for this, I am actually putting my hatred of this game aside. It started to have a compelling storyline, but I think it fell short. There was way too many questions that were not answered to me, and it feels like, okay, if you want to turn around and say that this was their way of making the trilogy, some of the answers could have been, or some of the questions could have been answered in the same video game. To me, it felt like they were pushing, pushing, pushing for a um, survival horror that they missed what makes Resident Evil Resident Evil, and it's the compelling storylines. But the the game was there. You know, it wasn't god-awful. The game was there. It had the elements to make it a great Resident Evil game. It just fell short to me. Things felt rushed. Mm. Things felt rushed and shoved in there. And it, I feel like there was just more attention to the creep factor, which I didn't appreciate. You could put attention towards the creep factor while also giving the characters more. I mean, you, we started out with a brand new character set. So Ethan, who has nothing to do with anything, gets thrown into this. Okay, that would be great. Give him a little bit more as the game goes on. I felt like that was... It was just throw this character in and be done. So honestly, that's why I'm giving it a 3 out of 5. The game was there. There were parts of it that was great. Just the lack of the storyline, the rushed feeling, all of that is why I give it the 3 out of 5. Okay. All right. I can see some of those things. Yeah. So, Daniel, what do you got? So, I have two different reviews. Oh, boy. Here we go. So, first half, two out of five. <laughs> okay. I didn't like the first half. The Just the trailer alone for the game didn't draw me in mm-hmm. at all because it, I was like, how does it connect to Resident Evil? Which brings me to this latter half of the game where it starts connecting everything to the extended franchise, which then becomes like a four out of five because now I'm more invested in it. Mm. But the beginning and the trailer, all that did not draw me in on how they were doing things. And like Ariel said, they could have done a lot more story wise Mm -hmm. than what they did. And you had new people to work in. And then, of course, you bring Chris in. That doesn't do much, but that was their intention, I would say. Mm-hmm. But maybe he was just in there because they needed some way to tie it. Kind of gap from, it, you yeah. know, close that gapping. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can see you guys bring up a lot of good points for this. Um, and as a reminder to our fans, this isn't us attacking your favorite game. Take it's just games. our personal opinions on these games. Uh, and by all means, you should still try them regardless of our ratings because they are every Resident Evil game has its own little a little appreciation and love spots. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. The very first time I played this game, I made it past where um, you fight Jack in the garage. Mm. And I put it down because I couldn't I couldn't keep going. I hated it that much mm-hmm. that I could not keep going. I set it down. But me later on stopped throwing my little temper tantrum and I actually went back and played it (laughs) the whole thing and I still hated it but I actually played the whole thing (laughs) later on so now it's down to me so I'm gonna give this a 4 out of 5 overall um here's here's my thought on it I agree with both of what you both have said um Ariel put it a lot better than what I think I could, which is it was missing a lot of essential storyline elements that make Resident Evil Resident Evil. I It felt to me like a very rushed horror survival game rather than a survival horror game. Because in a survival horror game, I'm given tools, I'm given abilities, 
you know, I'm giving something that's going to put me on an almost even playing field with these beings. And that's what the Resident Evil franchise has been up until this point, which is we're putting you on an almost equal playing field with these creatures. It's just your job to outsmart them or outwit them. Whereas this one, I felt like I was put into a position where I, for the first half of the whole, you know, for the first half of the game, I had to fight to survive and I never knew what was going to kill me or anything else. And it felt very, you know, horror survival-esque. Like I had had barely any tools, barely any abilities, barely anything I could utilize. And it was run around and hide. It was basically run around hide and seek for the first half of the game, which I did not like. Because when I play a Resident Evil game, I play a Resident Evil game to, let's be honest, shoot some zombies in the face and get some compelling storyline. I mean, not run around with a pocket knife and try not to die. <laughs> so that's the biggest part that disappointed me. However, as a standalone game, honestly, in the Resident Evil franchise, if you take it out and you leave it standalone on its own, it's a really great horror survival game in the first half. Really great. Uh, it really kept me blood, you know, blood was pumping, kept me on my edge of my seat. I'm like, oh, my God, am I going to die? Am I going to die? Uh, and it was it was a thrill. But it's not what I expected or wanted out of my Resident Evil games. Now, this video game was widely received. It was welcomely received. It was good. But as we will discuss, when we go back to RE, you know, when we get forward to RE8 or RE Village, um, they've gone back to more of the, you know, survival horror versus the horror survival kind of trope. Well, we're put on an almost even playing field. And honestly, that one was way more widely received than Village. Sorry, that one was way more widely received than Biohazard. So, but we'll get there and we'll talk about that. But in the meantime, I'm giving it four out of four out of five hunks. It was all right. It was pretty good. No. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I'm not shitting on the game. I'm not. Because you're right. As a standalone game, it would be great. Mm -hmm. I just... I remember being so excited when it came out. Because I get excited about anything. And just getting my heart let down like that. Like... This isn't Resident Evil. That's what I kept saying up until I got to a point where I had to put the controller down. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah, I got over my little temper tantrum and played the whole thing, but still. Well, with that being said and our ratings given, I think it's time to close out the RE7 for now. And... I think it's time to bid everyone adieu. So thank you all for listening and tune in next week. Bye. Bye there. Thanks for joining us tonight on the Resident Evil Lurecast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, tell a friend. Leave a comment and a review. If you want to keep chatting with us about all things Resident Evil, you can find us on the Robots Radio Discord. You can also chat with us at RE Lurecast on Twitter. Till next time, stay safe out there. And remember, we might have something that might interest you, stranger.